Howdy, folks. Welcome to a world of fantasy with seven magical lands of timeless fun. The Magic Kingdom, where happily ever afters happen every day. Wait a minute. I love that idea. How about some backstage pass? Karebuni. I am Warden Wilson Mutuwa, and I am happy to welcome you to Harambe Wildlife Reserve. Welcome to the WDW Reflections Podcast with your hosts, Dewey, Ron, and Tony. Here, we love to talk about Walt Disney World, the way we remember it, how it's changed, and how and why we still enjoy frequenting the happiest place on earth. You may learn some facts you never knew before, and you may even return to your own memories of the Walt Disney World Resort. And hopefully, we can share these memories together. So come with us on a podcast journey as we reflect on the WDW Reflections Podcast. Please stand clear of the doors. Reflections. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the WDW Reflections Podcast, your unofficial guide through Disney World memories and their connections to the parks we know and love today. I'm one of your hosts, Dewey. With me today are my buddies, Ron and Tony. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on? Hey, everybody. All right, so today we're going to be easing into our normal format. What we envision is that we will choose a new subject each week, a subject from Walt Disney World, of course. Maybe it's an attraction, a restaurant, a parade, or whatever we land on for that week. And we will give you our reflections about that selection for the week. This week, we're going to tackle my all-time favorite attraction. And if you follow us on Facebook and are a member of our WDW Reflections Reflections Podcast Reflectioners Group, say that five times fast, you've already seen that that attraction is none other than opening day Epcot Center attraction, World of Motion. All right, so I'm just going to jump right into it, fellas. So some exciting stuff. We're just going to talk about the, some stats first. So the first Epcot Center attraction to go vertical was World of Motion, meaning vertical construction. So, uh, you know, steel girders and all of those things. World of Motion was the first one to go up. So that's pretty cool. World of Motion opened on October 1st, 1982. So it was an opening day attraction. It was sponsored by General Motors. So those that know a little bit about Disney history, you probably remember that Ford was the sponsor of the Magic Skyway attraction at the 1964 World's Fair that, that Walt Disney and the Walt Disney Company, uh, that was one of the attractions that they developed for the, for the World's Fair in 64. GM saw the, the uptick in sales for the Ford Motor Company from that, that sponsorship. So GM wanted to jump in and be a part of uh, Epcot Center, and they wanted to to beat Ford to the opportunity to to sponsor an attraction there at Epcot Center. So they they actually began that relationship with with the Disney Company in 1977, in the early days of uh, concept for for Epcot Center. So the theme followed the evolution of human transportation. So the idea at Epcot Center was that each one of the pavilions had something to do with the human condition or the human story. You had humans 
uh, you know, dealing with the land and, and our relationship with growing crops and things over at Listen to the Land. Human imagination was at the Journey into Imagination Pavilion. So those types of things was all about, uh, you know, humans and how we interacted with the world around us and stuff. So human transportation is what the World of Motion Pavilion was supposed to highlight and to, to teach us about. World of Motion had 14 show scenes. So it was a pretty big, uh, pretty big attraction. It ended up being about a 14, 15 minute attraction. And, um, and, uh, it used the Disney, the famous Disney Omnimover, uh, transportation system. So basically it's one of those never stops unless it has to stop for a malfunction or for maybe a, allowing a handicapped person to, to enter their exit of the vehicle. But for the most part, the Omnimovers never stopped. You, you, you stood on, one of the moving platforms that moved at the same speed as your car, and uh, you just hopped into your to your your show car. So the fourteen scenes, the first scene highlighted the first mode of human transportation, which they called foot power. So it was a caveman, if you remember, it was a caveman sitting on a rock, blowing on his foot, and the foot was glowing red because he had been on his feet all day. And so show scene number two was early water transport. And that showed uh, a human on a, on a raft, just on a raft on water. And I was surrounded by uh, things that wanted to eat him. And it was, I think was like a, a crocodile that was trying to eat the guy on the raft. Uh, scene number three was early animal domestication. And the, uh, the narration talked about, you know, how easy life was now that they had humans had, domesticated animals but the show scenes showed something very different it showed uh it showed a showed humans trying to use different animals and the camels were working out pretty good they were you know carrying the packs but there was one guy fighting with a zebra that was uh being stubborn and didn't want to be a pack mule so that was pretty funny and that was one of the one of the best things about this this ride why it was so entertaining is because the show scenes would show one thing and the narration was very different, very dry humor by Gary Owens, who was the who was the narrator. But when Gary Owens would speak, he would talk about how great this part of human history was and how we had dominated and, and perfected this mode of transportation. But the show scene always showed the exact opposite, showed how how difficult that part of transportation was for humans. So always very funny. Uh, show scene number four was the invention of the wheel and that was uh, that show scene showed early babylon and there was uh, the ruler of babylon uh going to pick the best mode of transportation and you had a guy holding a square you had a guy holding a triangle and then you had a guy holding a circle a wheel and the 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 ruler of babylon obviously chose the circle because you know the be the best wheels are circles not triangles so pretty funny and uh, an extension of that show scene also had a used chariot lot. So almost like a used car lot, but you had a guy selling used chariots. And uh, one of the things on the used chariot lot was the Trojan horse. So kind of a, a neat little uh, addition in, from history. Show scene number five was sea exploration. And you had, uh, had a guy standing on the bow of a ship looking through a long, uh, uh, what are those things called, a periscope or a telescope, um, and looking off into the distance, and uh, right in front of that, that, uh, that ship sailing guy's uh, periscope 
is uh, this gigantic sea creature, and he's looking right into the eyeball of the sea creature. So the narration talks about man's domination of the seas, but yet he's getting, you know, right in front of this uh, <laughs> ship is this gigantic uh, sea creature that's coming to eat him. Uh, number six, show scene number six is uh, the age of flight. And uh, that one, that show scene has da Vin uh, Leonardo da Vinci working on one of his flying contraptions, uh, which is pretty cool. It's one of, it got the big wings, like a hang glider that he was trying to build. Uh, but for the humor part of it, over to the side, you see a, a half-finished painting of a lady, and you see a, a lady sitting on a stool uh, who was the subject of the painting, and it was obviously the Mona Lisa. Uh, and we find out the reason why the Mona Lisa is not smiling in the uh, famous, point, painting, famous painting is because da Vinci's keeping her waiting. She's sitting on the stool waiting to be painted, and he's over there playing with his flying contraption. So that's kind of funny. Uh, scene number seven is the age of steam power. So basically like in the 1800s and you see uh, a steam wagon. It's a steam powered wagon being, being basically pushed and pulled off of its front wheels by a, a big snorting, smoking, uh, snorting smoke out of his nose, a giant bull who's lifted the, the steam powered wagon off the road. So again, you've got uh, the narration talking about how transportation no longer needs horses and it's, you know, great to be out there. And then you, you know, you, the, the show scene actually shows the, the troubles of those, that mode of transportation. You see a steam train continuing with the steam power age, the steam train, and it's being held up by, by train robbing bandits. So everybody's got their hands up and, you know, the bandits are stealing everybody's money from the train. Uh, let's see. Uh, next is uh, scene eight. It's man and machine. And the, the narration calls it the perfect combination. Man and machine is the bicycle. And um, the narration says that it's great to be out in the countryside again and to see nature. And the nature that is being uh, seen in the scene is actually a guy who has fallen from his bicycle and uh, is is all muddy, wearing a white suit, but he's all covered in mud. And there's uh, pigs, muddy pigs surrounding him because he's fallen into their their sloppy mud hole. Uh, let's see. Next is scene number nine, the call of the open road. And this one is uh, about the horseless carriage, which, of course, is, uh, you know, automobiles. We're talking about early automobiles. And again, the call of the open road talks about getting out into nature and, you know, on these uh, dirt country roads away from the hustle and bustle of the city and everything. But what actually what you see is in the show scene, it's a really nice uh, backdrop of a city. Looks like, you know, 1900s New York City or something like that. And there's a gigantic traffic jam because one of these horseless carriages has startled a horse that's pulling a wagon. And the, all the, the contents of that wagon are all over the place. It's uh, broken chicken coops and stuff like that. Uh, really, really detailed show scene, but it uh, it showed the the world's first traffic jam because of an automobile. So again, kind of tongue in cheek, and it's never the changed direct... since. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's just gotten worse. Uh, so you know, the narration is the 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 polar opposite of what the show scene is depicting. So it's very funny. Show scene number ten: the sky's the limit, and the humans take flight. So the, what that one shows is basically it shows there were video screens behind the scene showing airplanes, early airplanes flying through the air like the Wright brothers and, and some, you know, some of the barnstormer planes and things like that. 
And then there was a, a the Wright brothers are from Ohio, by the way. All right. Oh, uh, right. Well, that's the last thing good to happen in Ohio. So congratulations, <laughs> Ron. <laughs> 1903 is when they flew for the first time. So that's the last time Ohio did anything good. Congratulations. Uh, let's see. So the, uh, the show scene shows a, um, a billboard advertising a coming air show. And, you know, so that's exciting because the barnstormers and stuff. But hiding behind that, that air show board, billboard is a motorcycle cop. And he's obviously waiting, uh, <laughs> you know, anxiously waiting to catch a speeder coming by on that, that country road. So that's, that's show scene number 10. Show scene number 11 is modern transportation. And this one was uh, probably one of my favorites from the, uh, from the ride because it had a row of vintage cars and it showed uh, each one of the cars had, uh, I guess you could say a different theme to it. The first car in the row was, uh, was a, uh, a newlywed couple and they had just married you know, in, with the, the tin cans following behind the car. It looks like they're just married, still wearing the wedding dress and everything. Uh, quick, a neat little tidbit. Uh, it said just married in one spot, but in another spot on the car, it said just wed in all capitals, W-E-D. And that yeah. was a cute little nod to Wed Enterprises, which, of course, we all know now was is now called uh, Walt Disney Imagineering. But back in the days of, uh, of Epcot Center, Wed was Walt uh, Walter Elias Disney Enterprises. So that was uh, just a cool little call out for, for wet enterprises. I thought that was very cool. Uh, the next car is a college, a group of college students all wearing their little letterman's jackets and stuff. And they're obviously off to cause trouble somewhere that as college students do. Next car is a, a station wagon full of little league players. So you've got kids wearing baseball hats and stuff, hanging out the windows and, you know, hollering and excited to be headed towards their, their game. Uh, and then the last one was uh, just a family uh, family headed on a like a road trip, and you know the cars packed, all the suitcases and stuff in the back and everything, uh, and they're headed to headed on a road trip, probably uh, to to Disneyland in California because this is a it's a fifties era car, so pretty cool. Uh, show scene number twelve. Uh, this will make you happy, Ron, because you talked about this in the last episode when you talked about if you had wings. But show scene number 12 was one of those classic Disney speed tunnels. So oh, this, this speed tunnel had a few different show scenes that, uh, that would show as you went through it. They had a toboggan run. They had a whitewater rafting scene. There was, and then there was some auto underwater scenes that showed, you know, bubbles and stuff. So it felt like you were swimming through the water. And then as you approached the end of the speed tunnel, it started transforming into zooming light. Almost like uh, think about if you're in the Millennium Falcon. And they go into hyperspace and you see the, 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 the stars become, you know, blurs. That's kind of what it transformed into. And then it transformed from those, those zooming lights into a computer grid. And almost like, almost looked like Tron. And you guys remember from the eighties, you knew you were in the future when you saw that, that futuristic <laughs> the animation. And the neon of, lights. Uh, Right, yeah, neon lights and computer grids, exactly. You knew you were moving into the future when you saw that in the 1980s. The green laser beams. That's exactly right, yep. And so that transformation took you into show scene number 13, which was the model. We at the end yet? What's that? We at the end yet? (laughs) Almost, almost. Well, I told you there were 14 show scenes, and I'm on 13. I, I thought you could have put two and two together. But that's okay. Just letting you know, this is 
Keep We're going. almost at the end. Here. So show scene number 13, uh, you emerge into it. It's a gigantic cityscape. And it's a, it was a futuristic city model. And it had, um, it was pretty cool. It had little little uh, beams of light that would move around to, to indicate or to look like flying cars and stuff like that. But your car went by, uh, went by this really big show scene. It was just this gigantic futuristic city. And then show scene number 14 was um, a Pepper's Ghost effect. You guys know what Pepper's Ghost effect is? You know, they how they, they project onto a mirror. And so you get, uh, it's like in the Haunted Mansion, you see the, the ghost dancing around. Well, they used the Pepper's Ghost uh, effect here in World of Motion. And it was pretty cool because you your car went by a great big mirror. So the, the, your, your Omnimover car that you were sitting in was uh, in the projection looked like a futuristic car so it was like a great big bubble you know you know a car of the future it made it look like so that was pretty neat effect uh, using the the pepper's ghost effect and then let's see and then at the end when you got off of course you know this probably began the tradition of uh disney emptying you out into a uh into a souvenir shop so that's basically what it did. You had in, you entered into GM's Trans Center, and uh, there were a few attractions in there. You had the Bird and the Robot. There was a show called Aerotest. There was a movie called The Water Engine, and then the Dreamers Workshop. And the Dreamers Workshop is where you could go in and see all kinds of models of uh, of concept cars and futuristic cars and things like that. And um, and then at the end of the Dreamers Workshop was where they had all of GM's current cars that you could go. You could actually go in there and buy a car if you wanted to. If you wanted to buy a Chevrolet Corvette, you could buy a Chevrolet Corvette right there at there was the a dealer there. Pavilion. There was a dealer, and, so, and, and it's still the same thing. It's just now it's test track. So now when you exit test track, there's you know hey, you can go and look at all the new GM cars. Uh, you can you can actually buy one there if you want to. Really, as in as in buy one and take it home. Uh, I think I don't think you take the one home that you're looking at right there. I know, I know. You can but make, I, yeah, but you can make I arrangements with them there, That's and you basically order. order the car. Wow, and, I had no uh, idea. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, uh, so that's basically the ride scenes for World of Motion. It was uh, it had 139 audio animatronics in wow. it, which was the most ever of a Disney attraction. And so that after uh, it was closed. Uh, which it unfortunately closed on January 2nd, 1996. Uh, many of those uh, audio animatronics have made it to other attractions. They, you know, recycled them and reused them. Uh, it's uh, a couple of them are in some of the animals are in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean rides around the world and, and stuff like that. So, you know, Disney didn't throw away any of those 139 animatronics. They've been used in other parks around the world. So that's pretty cool. Um, Funny little tidbit, the very last day, January 2nd, 1996, uh, to, to close the, officially close the, the attraction, they had some GM uh, bigwigs, like the executives from GM, uh, rode the ride for the ceremonial you know, last ride, and uh, it broke down. So World of Motion broke down, and these GM execs had to be uh, evacuated. They had to walk off the ride. So I guess that kind of, you know, is, is a, 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 an, an interesting way to send off the ride. 
But uh, yeah, so it broke down and they, the GM executives had to walk off of it instead of enjoying the ride one last time. And like I said before, the ride was replaced by Test Track. It was supposed to open in 1999 and there were lots of, um, lots of delays and stuff like that with the computer system and everything with Test Track. And uh, someday I have a very cool Test Track story that when we eventually come back and we do an episode about the attraction test track i will share that test track story uh but that's wow, it's that's a, a nice teaser yeah it's a teaser and who knows when we'll get back to it so yeah, right. uh, y'all don't forget <laughs> y'all let me know but uh but it was replaced by test track and um still a great attraction but it, it doesn't replace world emotion in my heart and um the so world uh, is truly your number one all-time Walt Disney favorite number one all-time Walt Disney favorite and I'm going to talk about my memories of it and uh, and then you'll fully be uh, uh, on board you'll understand why it was my favorite Ron okay. it was fantastic um, and hey why don't we just transition right into that why don't we talk about our memories so first of all you guys both of you have been on it right you do yes. you guys remember riding world of motion okay good so I didn't want it to be just me talking about the about the world of motion, and then you guys being, nope, sorry, dude, we didn't, we never wrote it. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter anyway because I mean that was so long ago. I I barely remembered it, but when you brought uh, up all these things, I'm I'm reliving it. So don't worry. About and that's that. kind of why I want to uh, why I wanted to go through the show scenes, even though Ron apparently was bored. Uh, <laughs> I don't care if Ron's bored. Or no, I just not, not with you, Dewey, not with you, but just I did find the ride, the first few scenes to be a bit boring. But well, Ron, you would be wrong, sir. Admittedly, I probably was not paying attention because as well as I could have been and could have found some humor there. I did remember catching a few of them, but not to the level that you just explained that there was of the narration, same one thing in the scene. Absolutely. It was very, and I think I actually think about, I'm going to look at my notes. I think I talk about the, the, I do. That's one, that's the second, second thing on my list of why I love the attraction. Number one on why I love the attraction is because it was developed by two Disney legends it was developed by uh, two guys. They were a member of uh, the, the group that we affectionately now know that Walt called his old, nine old men. So mm-hmm. Ward Kimball and Mark Davis. So, you know, I mean. Can I say when you talk- were describing when you were describing these scenes, I was thinking to myself, was that done by, by Ward? And because uh, mm-hmm. it's it's it reeks of their humor. Absolutely. Mark Davis, especially, uh, who was also involved with Pirates of the Caribbean. So, you know, you get some of that same humor. Uh, Mark Davis was uh, was amazing. Both of these guys, I mean, to be a member of Walt's inner circle and you know Walt's nine old men—that's just amazing. So uh, that's they wrote, they that's wrote a lot of the one. they wrote a lot of the gags for his uh, animated feature. Absolutely, well, I, yeah. His nine old men started out as his animators. So you know, and then one day he was like, "Hey, I know you guys draw cartoons, but guess what? We're going to build a theme park." And you know, they were like, "Wait a minute, we're 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 artists. We're not." We're not theme park builders, but they quickly, you know, turned into that and were amazing at it. So, yes. So, number one on my list of why I love this attraction is because it was developed by two of Walt's nine old men. Second reason I love memories, uh, my memories of World of Motion. Second reason I love it, I always love the contrast between the narration and what the show scenes portrayed. Because Gary Owens, 
uh, most of you guys probably don't know who Gary Owens is. He was a, uh, a, an announcer, a famous announcer on TV and stuff. He was, I think he was uh, the announcer for shows like Laugh Ben back yeah. in the 70s and stuff. So old guys like us know who I'm talking about. But He was famous for doing this. I'm Gary Owens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those of you that are listening have no idea what Tony's doing. But <laughs> those of you that are watching the YouTube video, you can see he's holding his I'm holding his headphones and doing his uh, his best announcer imitation. So that's pretty good. But yeah, um, the the it was hilarious. And Ron, if you had paid attention in the ride, and, and look, we didn't have iPhones back then. I don't know what you were paying attention to. It's not like you could have been scrolling Facebook in 1982. I don't know <laughs> I what, what you I was on Space Mountain. Oh, wishing you're on another ride. Well, you missed it, buddy. You're going to have to go and uh, and watch it on YouTube or something because you're missing out. But the show scenes were always in direct contrast with uh, Gary Owens. He his his delivery was very dry, very matter of fact. And he's like, "This is the automobile. Welcome to the open road." And it was you know glamorous and showed uh, was supposed to tell us how amazing it was. But every show scene was the exact opposite and showed just exactly what could go wrong in those types of situations. So I always enjoyed the humor. Every single time I wrote it, I laughed. But but I still laugh at the Jungle Cruise joke. So maybe it's just a, an indication of my humor. Uh, another thing that I absolutely love and still remember about the, uh, the ride World of Motion or the attraction is the music. And you guys know that the, the, I've told you guys I'm a music guy. I, I play bass guitar, and I love music. Uh, the the music score to World of Motion was absolutely amazing. the The main theme of the show was called "It's Fun to Be Free," and it was written again. Here we go, written by Buddy Baker. We talked about Buddy Baker in the last episode uh, when we were talking about uh, the the music for Haunted Mansion and and for Pirates of the Caribbean from from Tony's. Uh, uh, what's your favorite segment? Buddy Baker and Exitensio. Those two guys wrote the music and the lyrics, and Fun to Be Free was absolutely one of their best. It's basically a one-minute loop of what I guess you could call the chorus. And, you know, it's fun to be free and all that. And um, I'm butchering it. My apologies. But that one-minute chorus played through the entire attraction. But then what was super cool about the song is that Every area you went to, whether you were in ancient Babylon or you were in, uh, you know, whatever show scene, you were in the 50s with all the cars, every show scene had a harmony that was reminiscent of that era's music. So, sort of the, a variation the, on the same theme, but in, in a, that era. Exactly, a variation of the same theme. So, you had the same fun to be free in the background, but then over the top of it, they would add. The, the the variation for whatever that show scene's era was and that was super super cool it it, it basically made one song sound like 10 different songs and it was really cool and it's very good I, I still love it to this day um the next thing on the, my memories of world emotion was the famous disney details everything was meticulous everything was uh, you know, down to the most minute details. The one of the one of the show scenes, the one that showed the the traffic jam in New York, was um, I mean, you know, the it it was literally like a like a, a a block of a city like a city block, and it had all the 1900s buildings and stuff, and people looking out over the balconies, and uh, in the traffic jam, you had 
chickens that had got out and they're flapping their wings and the horse is rearing back. I mean, just absolutely amazing. Just so the, many details. The, the amount of, of, of animatronics involved in this thing was, was just immense. It's, it, it's amazing to, uh, to even imagine if they had that many things like that going on at once. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, there was 139 uh, audio animatronics. So you've got audio animatronics inside a hot air balloon at one point. You have, you know, all the audio animatronics sitting in the cars that were in the in the open road scene and stuff. So absolutely amazing um, detail. You're doing a great job of selling this this um, attraction. Yeah, um, I should work for Disney yeah. and yeah, I could sell it. And maybe they'll rebuild it. So that's that that's a great awesome. idea, Ron. Uh, let's see. So, the, in the very end, the Trans Center. Uh, this was pretty cool for a guy like me. Remember, um, uh, I told you we were pretty middle class back at, back in those days. Uh, this was the first time I was ever got to be up close, hands on, uh, to a Chevrolet Corvette. So that's pretty cool. My my parents, uh, in, in all the photos and stuff that they've been sharing, uh, there's a picture of uh, me and my brother. You know, sitting inside what I guess would probably be an 85, 86 Corvette, uh, you know, and it's all shiny and on the showroom floor and everything. And uh, it's super cool. You know, I'm there in my 11 year old geeky glory and sitting in a Corvette. I, there's one picture of us in a in a Pontiac Fiero. You guys remember the Pontiac Fiero? So uh, so pretty cool. I really enjoyed uh, at the Trans Center at the very end getting to go and see all the models of all the futuristic cars and they're all, you know, uh, the 1980s version of what they thought cars would look like in, in the 2000s and stuff. And very cool, just bubbles and very bubbly and everything. So Could you get into them at the it. time or did, were, they, were, they, were they allowing you to get on? The, the concept cars, you could not. The concept cars were uh, just on display. They were behind, uh, behind walls or behind windows or behind... Uh, roped off or something like that but they were very much uh hands off they were couldn't get inside those and my guess is that the insides weren't complete it was probably just an outer shell um but that's it that's those are my memories of world of motion i can still remember a lot of that stuff in my brain and then i you know i've told you guys that my parents uh, did a good job of uh videotaping a lot of stuff so it's pretty cool that i can still look back on that but those are my memories of World of Motion. So, okay, Ron and Tony, you guys are up next. What are your memories of the greatest Walt Disney World attraction of all time, World of Motion? And, and just hang on, Ron, I know you have to go, but uh, it, I'll let you just keep going. I'll, I'll Maybe I'll record something after you have to leave. Oh, okay, cool. So, Dewey, one, unfortunately the memories of this attraction that you have have come back to me and, and I remember it much more vividly than I did when you first said World Motion and I could not believe that World of Motion was your number one all-time attraction. That being said, now that you've recalled my memory to the speed tunnel that was in that ride, um, the some of the futuristic aspects of it, I'd totally forgotten that they made you look like you're in a futuristic car. Um, so now I, I guess I, I was going to give you a really hard time about this being your number one all <laughs> ride. Though, now that I'm remembering it better, it, it, is, it was a good ride. I'm not sure that um, it would 
ever rate at my number one all-time ride, but I can definitely remember some of the some of the humor. I do remember that, not as vividly as you remember it. And I do remember, but the speed tunnels, speed tunnels for whatever reason, really, I enjoy them and, and I think they're fun. And, uh, <laughs> there's a reason that you find them in multiple locations at Disney. Um, so that's my memories. I don't have, like I said, I, I do remember coming out and being able to see the new models and thinking that was interesting. Here's the here's the real problem is that when my family we went to Epcot in 1982, very near the opening, not opening day, but near the opening, and we had gone to the World's Fair in 1982 as well in Knoxville, and honestly, it may have even been on the same trip. I really can't remember whether, but so it was like. I've already explained that my family is very much a thrill ride type of amusement park. And that's what we really were looking for. So don't get me wrong. We love this stuff, the, the different type of rides that you find in, in, in Epcot. And, and I've really come to enjoy them now, but back in 1982, I was a junior in high school and still looking for some excitement and and while that broad excitement it wasn't your roller coasters with the 60 mile an hour drops and all that good stuff absolutely but so we we came out of the world's fair to basically go to another world's fair and again very fortunate to be able to do that and but as a junior in high school i was like Another vacation to learn, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, we there was some fun stuff, and I and I wish I truly wish we could go back and ride it again because I it probably end up at the higher list of attractions I would enjoy. Let the record show. Ron has said he does not like to learn. Let the record show. He does. Ron does not enjoy learning. So that's out there in the world, y'all. So, I, and, and, <laughs> hey, I'm with you, Ron. I get it. Listen, I, I, I love a good roller coaster, too. 1980s Epcot was zero thrill. It was all that edutainment. You know, they were trying to entertain you, show you some audio and animatronics, and, and teach you something. So all of, the, all of the pavilions at Epcot Center had, you know, that edutainment you know, thing going on. And, so. I, and I've really come to appreciate that now. But, yeah, in 1982, I, I was looking for the roller coaster. And I, uh, I just want to say that uh, all of those things that I was reading, I want to say that I did not come up with that all by myself. Some of it I did do a little bit of research online. I went and used the Disney Wiki online. And I also, on YouTube, I, I went and watched uh, Martin's Ultimate Tribute. And uh, if you guys have a chance, you can go on YouTube and look up Martin's Ultimate Tribute channel. He has... Um, in depth, like the, the world of motion episode was literally an hour and a half. And wow. so Ron, you were probably be bored because you were bored with me talking about it, but I was, <laughs> I, really I was, was watching I was world of motion. Fun. Oh my gosh. It was so good. I, I was uh, like a, a nerd in heaven watching that. So, uh, a shout out to, to Martin's ultimate tribute videos on, on YouTube. Fantastic stuff. All right, Ron, that was awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate your thoughts on world of motion. 
Okay, how about you, Tony? What are some of your memories of my all-time favorite Walt Disney World attraction, World of Motion? Well, I can see why this would be your all-time favorite. The the level of detail, the amount of animatronics, the the thought process that went behind the creation of this ride is just immense. Uh, unfortunately, it was one of those rides that I, I kind of forgot because it was something that I did early in my trips to Disney World, and I had no. I, I remember that there was something that used to be there before Test Track. And that it was a fun ride that I used to go to, but until you mentioned all of these details, I forgot that it was something so actually incredible to behold.、Uh, I personally love the animatronics in Disney World because you really don't see anything to that level anywhere else that you go. I mean, you can go to another theme park like、um, Universal, but it still doesn't feel as、um, as real as it does at Disney, and that. Level of attention that they put into those scenes is just something that they—I don't even think they've done anything like that. Perhaps until maybe Rise of the Resistance.、Uh, I, I think that's probably the closest thing where they put that many scenes together and take an audience from one place to another place and let you experience different things. So it, it, it's interesting to to hear about this ride that. Uh, was especially since it was an opening day ride, that was something that was so impressive. I, I think what might have happened is that because people were seeking thrill rides like Run,、um, you get online for whatever you see at the park. You see everybody else online. You know, oh, that looks interesting. Let me go. You're not necessarily thinking that you're going to be sitting in a seat for 15 minutes,、uh, being being told the history of anything. <laughs> uh, I think the same thing. I think the same thing happens、uh, at Spaceship Earth. I think a lot of people see that there, see people online who don't know, who've never been there before, get on and don't realize you're going to be sitting there for at least 20 minutes in in this car as it makes its way around the、uh, globe,、uh, and very slowly. The Unisphere, I should say. <laughs> yeah, very slowly. You know, one really quick thing I wanted to say about that, since we're talking about the early days of Epcot, my nephew had gotten to. See to Epcot Center before it was completely built. Before they put the、uh, the nations behind it, he got to visit the first part of it, and he came back with this video, and he kept showing me this video of the Unisphere, and I kept thinking to myself, "Wow!" So you come out of the parking lot and you go into that globe, and everything's in there. I, I thought I literally thought that the Unisphere was where Epcot Center was. That everything in Epcot Center was inside of that of that Unisphere. How big did you think that thing was? <laughs> I don't know, but I know that that's what I thought. You know, it was the symbol for the for the park, and so I thought everything. I said, "Wow!" Well, I, you know, I, I believe that Disney could do anything. So I, I I was thinking to myself, "Wow!" He kept showing me. He he said, "Oh, look! It's got this pavilion and that pavilion." I said, "Wow! All that fits in there in that in that <laughs> in that Unisphere." But、uh, a lot of what you're saying also harkens back memories to me of the original version of.、Um, Of、uh, of Spaceship Earth,、uh, the especially when you're talking about things like the caveman and and the progression of man throughout the ages, but it it is something to behold. I definitely do suggest that viewers go and seek out the footage、uh, that you mentioned of the of this attraction because to be able to see that many animatronics in one place at one time shows that. There was an intention for this park to be something like nothing else. Something that that you can they they use the technology to tell stories in the best way that they could. And the fact that they 
as you were as you were telling the story, as I mentioned, I, I kind of thought that the humor was reminiscent of what the nine old men would have done, and it's it's amazing to find out that they did do it, and that's amazing to actually see a physical representation of it. I am assuming that the reason that the ride closed, aside from, um, I don't know if if the if the um, level of attraction with crowds had slowed down, but I'm assuming that the cost of having to run all of those animatronics, you said there was 138? 139. 139. Yeah. The, the cost of running all of those must have been uh, ridiculous and making sure that they all don't break down. They probably all needed maintenance at some point. The, the immensity of that ride just sounds like something that they just were not able to maintain. So that's probably why they decided in the 90s when things got a little tight that this ride couldn't exist any longer, which is a very big shame because as, as Ron was saying, listening to you talk about it, it sounds like something that he definitely would have been interested in seeing. When I saw those clips, I said, oh, wow, I have to see if I have any video of that someday because it sounds like something that I definitely would have loved. But I have one more question for you. Was there not a scene? Was this the ride? Was there not a scene toward the end where you get to pick your own journey where you're going to go? Or am I thinking of a different ride? You're thinking of Horizons. Horizons, ah, Horizons had the, the other one. The okay. Choose your own adventure part at the end. Absolutely. Okay. So it's now part of reason, the reasons why, and you're talking about why, why it was closed. But it closed, yeah. Is that GM actually came to Disney and told them that they wanted to, if they were going to continue their sponsorship, which was in question at that time, they, they needed to, to plus it up a little bit. And um, the original concept of this attraction of World of Motion actually had the inside of the building, which is, uh, as you know, it's, it's a circle, so it's meant to be the shape of a wheel. Uh, but the original concept was supposed to have the dark ride part on the inside and then a track on the outside of the building that was going to add more thrill. And, and as Epcot center was being built and developed and all of that it, it was enormously over budget so a lot of the things that they wanted to do were scaled back so when gm came back to disney and said hey it's time to if you want us to keep paying for this this attraction keep sponsoring it we're going to need to to bring more people in and get more people to uh, come in here and and see the gm product so they wanted to take it from instead of being an attraction about uh, human transportation they wanted it to be about cars and so when they started talking about that disney revisited that original idea of having the track outside of the attraction and uh, and that is what eventually became test track so uh so that's a, a neat little bit of history there was supposed to be an outdoor track in the original world of motion and uh, it was just scaled back because of budget concerns but eventually that track came and was added when it became Test Track. And we'll talk about Test Track at some point on a later episode. So uh, last thing we'll talk about before we get into the, the end, ending segments of our show is I just want to, uh, those of you watching on, the, uh, on our YouTube, you might notice that I'm wearing, uh, I have an old school logo here on my shirt. This is actually the original, uh, one of the original pavilion logos. This is the World of Motion uh, logo from original Epcot Center, so uh, that's how big of a World of Motion nerd I am. I have the uh, I have the World of Motion shirt. I like to wear this. Here you go, I'll turn around. You can see the bag. Look at that. Um, 
I like to wear this whenever I head into Epcot Center uh, on our trips. This is one of my favorite shirts. So just wanted to point that out. I got, I'm got i sporting the old school World of Motion t-shirt for this episode. So uh, that's awesome. That's it for uh, the main segment of our podcast for this week. Let's move on to the next segment. All right, guys. Great discussion. That was fantastic. So let's move on to our next segment. This is what we like to call the what's happening now in Walt Disney World. So we've heard recently that the Wave Restaurant in the Contemporary Resort is going to be changing its name, changing its, its the whole venue is changing, changing its menu. It's going to be switching over to a steakhouse and uh, it's going to be called the Steakhouse 71 which is a reference to 1971, the year the, the Contemporary opened, the year the whole resort opened. And if you guys may or may not remember, that's a return to the steakhouse from way back when, uh, the Concourse Steakhouse, which closed on May 31st of 2008. So it's been a little while since they had a steakhouse there in the Contemporary Resort. But uh, kind of cool they're going back. I don't know if you could say going back to their roots, but it's sort of a throwback, going back to the days when, when there was a, a nice steakhouse there in the Contemporary Resort. So that's kind of cool. Uh, the guys and I were just talking about the different places you could go get a steak on property. And, you know, you still got La Cellier there in the Canada Pavilion. You still have the Yachtsman Steakhouse over in the Yacht and Beach Club. And But there's really nothing like a steakhouse over on the Magic Kingdom side of the park. So I think this is actually a pretty good idea. Although I heard, I, I never got to enjoy the wave restaurant but tony i believe you said you uh went we did. there we stopped there during I, one of our last trips that we went there with the family and uh, it was a very nice meal and one of the things that i remember also is is my wife is very particular about the way a restaurant looks and she loved the design there i think it had like a, a very modern looking design that fit well with with the contemporary well i know the contemporary is going through a gigantic refurbishment yeah. right now they're redoing the rooms and, and all kinds of stuff. So not a, not a surprise that they would be redoing or reimagining one of the restaurants. So Steakhouse 71 coming. I think that's pretty cool. I love the, uh, the, the reference to the year 71, you know, and you got over in Space Mountain, you've got, what do they call it? Starport 75. Cause that's the year that Space Mountain opened in the Magic Kingdom. So I think it's cool when they do little, little throwbacks or throw a number in there that refers to, the day something opened or something like that. So I, I saw a, another podcast re- recently, and I'm sorry to the person who reported it. I don't remember which one it was, but they referenced that there's a Steakhouse 55 or there was one in Disneyland that recently closed. So Steakhouse 55 closes in Disneyland, Steakhouse 71 opened. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because uh, yeah. that was um, really sought after seating for that restaurant in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Well, that's too bad. That that would have allowed a little bit of symmetry there if you had Steakhouse yeah. 55 and on the West Coast and Steakhouse 71 on the East Coast. That I, I like symmetry. I'm a you know I'm a military guy and everything has a place and and has to be balanced and everything. So that uh, now I'm mad that they they closed Steakhouse 55. Now there's no <laughs> symmetry. That bothers me. So, but I'm excited about a new Steakhouse coming to Walt Disney World and especially there on the on the magic kingdom area that, you know, kind of out of the way from the rest of the rest of the property. So that's kind of cool. Also heard 
that Space 220, you guys, we've talked about Space 220 before. It's the space-themed restaurant coming to the Epcot, the reimagined Epcot on the World Discovery side, which used to be Future World East. We know that Space 220 is coming, and we knew that it was going to be opening sometime in September. So the long-awaited restaurant will open on September 20th, 2021. So we're recording this on the 5th of September. So as we're recording this, that's just right around the corner. And it's going to be opening just in time for the 50th anniversary fiftieth anniversary celebration that starts on August the 1st. Oh, October 1st. October the 1st. October the 1st. So that's pretty cool. The special effects and stuff that I've seen on on Instagram and everything, Imagineers have shared some some videos and things. Look spectacular. So now there is an opening date. So I've heard that they're accepting reservations. I don't I don't know if it's all booked up. I would imagine it probably is, but uh, it's ready to open. So that's pretty cool. You guys looking forward to the the uh, Space Two Twenty restaurant? I Ron, you got to be like wiggling in your in your seat there right now, thinking about it because it's you know it's going to look like. Um, it's going to look like the like an extension of the Mission Space Ride. So uh, that, I think that's going to be pretty cool. And right up your alley, Ron. All right, so that's awesome, Space 220. Like I was saying, Ron, I know that you're going to be all over that since we know that your favorite attraction is, is Mission Space there in Epcot. So Absolutely. now you could jump off Mission Space and jump into and right the to lunch or restaurant, dinner. right? Yes, absolutely. Very much looking forward to it. I think it's a great addition, and um, next trip we'll definitely be planning to eat there. Yeah, the the special effects look fantastic, so that's super cool. You know what I found kind of yeah. uh, weird about that restaurant is that here in New York City, back in 2000, we had a restaurant that was called Mars 2112. And it was, it sounds a lot like this, where it was, it was an experience where you go in there, you had to go through a, a, a little kind of a pre-show as if you were being transported to Mars. And then it was a very uh, intergalactic looking place with some entertainment, people be walking around uh, with weird exotic costumes and, and the meals were very exotic. So this sounds like a, like a brand new extension of that. So you say had, so that had. restaurant's gone? It, it didn't, yeah, it it's exist. been gone for, for uh, I mean, it has to be over a dozen years or so, but it was here in Times Square back in the early 2000s, and it was called Mars 2112. 2112, okay, so still in the future. So they were they did a little bit better than uh, some, some of the things at Disney with their Tomorrowland and everything. I remember... Uh, have you guys been checking out the Behind the Attraction series on Disney Plus? I saw one of them. I'm dying to watch some more. I just watched one. We're I think we're on the sixth or seventh episode. Absolutely a, amazing show. Love it. But they were. It was on the last one we watched was on the Disneyland Hotel, mm-hmm. and they were talking about you know how it was futuristic and it yeah. changed the way hotels are and everything. But it struck me they were talking about. It's tying in when, when they built the monorail that went from the Disneyland right. Hotel and it went through the Tomorrowland and everything. And they were talking about Tomorrowland. And again, this is late 50. So 59, I think, is when they put in the monorail. And the Tomorrowland was 
the the tag or whatever they were saying was Tomorrowland experience the year 1986. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. Because, <laughs> you know, of course that's the 50s, but here we are, you know, we're we're in 2021 now. But I just thought that was so funny that but and then the the, the other sign is uh but whatever you do, don't go to 2020. Stay yes. away from 2020. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's the that's the future that they weren't expecting exactly. and weren't going to talk about. So uh, that's really cool. A lot of a lot of cool stuff happening. You know, all this stuff is in preparation for the 50th anniversary celebration there in Walt Disney World. So a lot of cool stuff there. All right, guys. So that was awesome. Thanks for helping us out there with the what's happening now in Walt Disney World. Let's go ahead and move on to the final segment of our podcast. And this is a little thing we like to call What's Your Favorite? This is where each week one of your WDW Reflections podcast hosts will take the helm of the Starship podcast here and they will put to the other two hosts What's your favorite? And they'll give us a choice between two things. And we have to decide right on the spot, which is our favorite between that two. The the two hosts that are participating do not know ahead of time what's coming. So Ron is about to drop one on us today. We have no idea what's coming. So Ron, you're in charge of what's your favorite this week. So what do you got for us? Absolutely. I've got a great what's your favorite it's going to be very difficult for me to decide. So you guys will be going first in this decision. But the question is, which is your favorite? Cinderella's Royal Castle or Chef Mickey's? All right. Okay. Um, now, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Dewey, we'll start with you. Okay, good. Good, because I started running my mouth already. So sorry, I jumped in. Okay, so I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, my kids are, let's see, as of this recording, 18 and 14. So it's probably been, I don't know, six, seven, eight, ten years since we've really been into the character breakfast thing. Uh, you know, we loved going to character breakfasts when the kids were little. But as they've gotten older, we, we really haven't done a whole lot. Um, and I've only been to Cinderella's Royal Table one time. And I'll be honest with you, to me, the, the appeal of that place is all about location, location, location. It was super cool Absolutely. getting to walk up the stairs into, you know, I guess the, the banquet hall or the actual restaurant. Uh, really cool. Really, really cool awesome being able to look out the windows because you know the restaurant is actually in the back side of the castle so the windows that you're looking through it overlooks the carousel and everything you can't beat that you can't beat the views and stuff and but what i under what i remember is that i wasn't super impressed with the food and not at all saying that the food was bad or of poor quality you know not everything in disney all of the food is good quality, even if it's a uh, 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 quick Not service or something. Yeah, yeah, it's never bad. But I, I remember 
that uh, I think I had to sell one of my kidneys just to pay for that <laughs> meal. And besides the view and besides the location, the meal was just a meal, you know? Um, great. It was good food, but it wasn't didn't blow me away. It wasn't like going to Ohana's and stuffing yourself with high quality meats, you know? Right. And then Chef right. Mickey's, uh, again, character meals were great when my kids were little, but the, even Chef Mickey's isn't, if, if I had to make a list of 10 of my favorite restaurants, I don't think Chef Mickey's or Cinderella's, Cinderella's Royal Table would make that list. Uh, I love Chef Mickey's because, again, and Ron, this is funny because uh, I think I shared a picture with you the other day. I was going through some pictures and found some some of when your your family and my family went to Chef Mickey's together. And right. gosh, man, our kids were probably maybe 10. My, my daughter's the youngest right. of your kids and my kids. So she was probably like six, six or something, you know, really young. So. And that might be the last time I've been to Chef Mickey's. So, again, probably a decade or so. Uh, a, re, good food. It's uh, the buffet. You know, you go up and you, you get what you want off the buffet. But neither one of those are my favorite as far as eating on property. But so going from that information and saying that I don't love the food, I guess I would have to base my selection off of ambiance or location and those kinds of things. So for me, I'm going to go Cinderella's Royal Table just because you're in the castle, you know, and that's something that not a lot of you, you, we don't, you don't really get to do that a whole lot in, unless you're going into that restaurant. There's no other public space you know, other than walking through the tunnel at the bottom, there's no other public space in the castle. So I'm going to go with Cinderella's Royal Table just because it's a super cool experience to be inside the castle. So there you go. I hope I didn't dis disappoint you, Ron, with talking about, you know, I guess I talked more about what I didn't like than what I did like. They're great. They're great. Don't get me wrong. The food's good. No, you're, you're, yeah. So I'm I going to I think the points you made are, are all legit. Uh, when I asked the question that we were talking about, something that probably isn't appealing to the three of us at this point in the juncture of our life, but they're both very popular locations. So I just was wondering what your favorites are. So Tony, what's your favorite? Well, actually, uh, as Dewey was saying, it is really about location, location, location. And it's kind of true for both of those, if you think about it, because of the proximity yes. of Chef Mickey's to the Magic Kingdom. Um, as far as Cinderella's uh, royal table, uh, my family, as I mentioned before, used to travel as a group. And we would uh, try dining at the different restaurants whenever we could. My wife likes to dine at, at, at table restaurants. And... Uh, Cinderella's Royal Table was fun for me in the, in the sense that we got to go there, I think, twice when the fireworks show was um, was on. So we got to go there after a day at the parks. We were in the restaurant when the fireworks went off and, and, and experiencing that was kind of cool. But I kind of agree with Dewey regarding the food. I don't remember anything particularly different or tasty or or um, or spectacular about the food. It always seemed kind of Russian rushed in there and 
the service seemed kind of um, busy. Uh, as far as Chef Mickey's goes, um, my as I mentioned before, we traveled as a family, and our kids were our my in-laws who were in their 70s at the time. And uh, if you've ever traveled with uh, anyone that age, you know that it's like traveling with kids. And we, we, my father-in-law loved Mickey Mouse. So every single trip that we went, we couldn't go a trip without going to Chef Mickey's. And uh, I think as far as his experience with, with seeing Mickey Mouse, having Mickey literally be there and, and talk, he would talk to him, uh, having the characters come around is an experience that is hard to beat because that, that's a kind of a one-on-one with the original five characters who just pop in, sing their little song. And in fact, I, I, I still, there's like a happy birthday or something song that they sing that I, I still wake up my wife on her birthday by playing a, a YouTube video of that. So um, uh, my vote will go to Chef Mickey's because of how many times I've been there and uh, how close it is to the Magic Kingdom. We used to, as I mentioned, we planned our, our trips along with uh, dining. So it, would, it was a lot easier to get up and get to the Chef Mickey's, eat a breakfast and head into the park right, right from there. Um, so that's why I would pick Chef Mickey's over uh, Cinderella as well. Too. Awesome. I, I appreciate that. So for us, and maybe this is why this is such a hard choice, Chef Mickey's and Cinderella's Royal Table have very special memories for me as a dad. And Chef Mickey's became, from our very first get-go, I had learned about Chef Mickey's, and I thought, what a great way to kick off a vacation. And so with my first visit with my family, we scheduled breakfast at Chef Mickey's, or no, lunch, because... We flew in a little bit later that day. So it was a great place to maybe not go to the park that day, but still get um, character interaction, get that kind of going, get that Disney feel. And so we went there for lunch. And do you're right. Neither of these locations do you choose for because it's such a uh, economical meal. Right. Um, both are rather expensive and um i would agree that the food is quality but it's not food that you're gonna it's not particularly memorable unless um for breakfast they always have the mickey waffles so those are memorable from that perspective um but as far as saying oh i've got to go to chef mickey's to have this you're probably not going to have that experience you may but i didn't have that experience um, and Cinderella's Royal Castle, I have two little girls or had two little girls. They're, they're both grown at this point. One's even married. I'm granddaughter. So looking forward to reliving some of these experiences with them, but with her and, um, Cinderella's Royal Castle was, it was like, we would take our daughters to Bibbidi Boppity Boutique, another very, economical thing to do with your um, daughter, not. (laughs) You're going to pay a lot of money for um, them to um, make your daughter feel like a princess. And they do a really good job of it, but it's not cheap. 
And so then we would, we got them, took them to Bippity Boppity Boutique. And then we went to, one time we went to lunch, one time we went to dinner. Um, again, neither blew me away from the food perspective, but it blew my daughters away. They met the real princesses and got to be with them. And the princesses, though, Tony, I would agree again, feel somewhat rushed. They still take enough time and ensure that our daughters felt very much seen and interacted with their favorite and took pictures, got autographs. So some of that rushness, I think, was just because of the anticipation of getting to see the princesses at your table. And and we didn't, it, it felt rushed, I agree. But at the same time, I, I had plenty of time to finish my meal and still have a lot of interaction with each of the princesses. And there's several princesses that would come through there and um, all the main ones, Cinderella, Snow White, um, I think. Um, anyway, all the, the oh, um, Aurora, definitely those three. But then there's um, normally a couple more that um, come through as well. So, and then the, the very special thing. So Chef Mickey's special because every vacation since we've kicked our vacation off with a trip to Chef Mickey's. Um, and then Royal Castle is very special because it was very special to my daughters because their imagination was made real life through going to the castle. But then I had been writing letters to my daughters on their birthdays, unbeknownst to them. They only got the letters um, on their 18th birthday. And for Brooke, we went back to Cinderella's Royal Table. And I will say the food actually was was something memorable this time. And and the whole experience was very memorable. I had taken a, I had gotten a box to put the letters in and took it to the main reception area without being around Brooke. I said, hey, we've got reservations here for lunch. <clears throat> I just want you to hang on to these letters um, until we get there. And if you could bring them out in a special way for me, that'd be awesome. And they're like, sir, we can't do that. And I'm like, really? You can't do that? I thought, I've, I really did not think it would be an issue for them at all. I thought they would like jump at the opportunity. And they're like, that's a priceless gift that we cannot be held responsible for. There's no <laughs> way. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It, it makes a lot of sense. Can you, can, can you imagine if, because it, it was probably two or three hours before our reservation. And they're like, we just can't take that responsibility. But here's the here's the cool ending to that story. When I came up, I, when I, I came up to, to the. I want to, before you get to the ending, I want to ask you a question. So you, sure. you said these, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you said these letters, you've been writing them since they were little, right? So. This is not just yes. a, a letter. Every year on their birthday. And they have never seen these. You've written a letter on their birthday every year and then have held on to it. And so you've got, and you said in this case, it was Brooke's birthday. So 18 years of birthday letters that you're going to, you know, give her. And basically it's going to tell the story of how you've experienced being her father for her entire life. So 
I, I mean, think exactly. about it from Disney's perspective. They're like, yo, you want us to oh, hold this, this oh, brick of gold, <laughs> you know? This is something that cannot yeah. be replaced at at all. Cannot be replaced. I, I'm not surprised at all that they were like, yo, right. we don't want anything to do with that. You know, that's that makes a lot of sense. I totally get that. No, absolutely. Hindsight's 2020. To me, I just was excited. I trusted Disney. I've seen their customer service. So, but no, absolutely did not get offended at their decision. The minute she said that, I'm like, oh, duh. Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't take that that responsibility on it. It was actually 19 years of letters because I'd written one prior to their birth as well. So, yeah, handing uh, 19 years of letters over to a, a Disney cast member, after they said, yeah, we can't be responsible for that, it made a lot of sense. So I was not offended. I was actually relieved that they took it as serious as I did. Um, so it was interesting. The neat part of this story, though, is, is when we came back, they were ready for me. And the manager said, hey, now that you're here, give me what you have. And, dude, I'm telling you, they they checked, you know, then we just started waiting. And, and Brooke was like, what was that all? I'm like, oh, they. I just wanted to make sure that we were going to have a special seat for your birthday and stuff. And um, she's like, oh, dad, that's awesome. You know, all that good stuff. But the neat part is then they went and took us and seated us. And, and she's like giddy reliving her childhood and, and seeing the princesses and stuff. But then they blew trumpets and brought this box of letters out on a silver platter oh, for nice. her, delivered them to her and dude it was such a a incredible moment um that it's just so both of these places obviously have very special memories and very significant into our family and i think many families probably have these same memories some of the same situations um, so it does make this one difficult. I know not because the food is grand, not because I saved uh, did just the opposite. I spent lots of money at both of these places. Um, but to have memories that, that we have and to choose one or the other is, it's still very difficult for me. So my favorite today is Cinderella's cast or Cinderella's table. That's yeah. Let's be story. honest. The, I mean, that that's a super cool story. First of all, you having the forethought, you know, as a as a brand new father to think, hey, I'm going to write a letter on every birthday and, and save them. That's that's something that not a lot of people think about or a lot of people do. So that's super cool as a dad that you did that. Yeah. But then to have this this grand reveal at Cinderella's Royal Table. Uh, I don't even know why you struggled with that decision. That that's got to be like the the cake topper on top of the, you know. It is. I mean, it is. It is. It will be something that's remembered forever. Um, I'll never forget that moment. I'm writing letters to Nyla, my granddaughter now, and maybe who knows? Maybe we'll get to do her reveal at Cinderella's Castle too. I don't know, but the the fact is, yes, it, it is. But Cinderella's. I mean, Chef Mickey's has some equally great memories. I've got a video that I put together of 
make the one of the girls or Mickey running to us and and one of the girls just hugging him up and I don't know Mickey is just a, that whole not being getting character interaction at my original trip to Disney and then being so in, engulfed in character in it, it just was a very magical time but no Cinderella's castle is definitely the one that probably will always be for, forefront um, but Chef Mickey's is a very very close second well, well, as I mentioned to you, similar to what you just said, my father-in-law would always uh, bring his photos on his phone and show it to Mickey. He said, hey, remember last year when I was here? And Mickey would come over and, and look at it and, and nod and, and hug him and, and make him feel as if he really was there and remembered him from last time. Sure. I, I love that your your father-in-law had that childlike... I, know, that's uh, I, I don't want to call it naivety, you know, I don't want to say he's naive, but he has that childlike wonder. Oh yeah, that, you know that he thinks it's the it's it's literally Mickey Mouse, and and they shared a a, a moment two years ago or whatever, yes. and he's like, "Yo, Mickey, remember that time <laughs> you and I were dancing at the whatever parade?" I mean, that's just fantastic that he 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 had that that relationship or had that you know that connection with mickey mouse so he's like i remember when we did this mickey you're my pal you know he did he did we were he goes we remember when we were on the cruise look at i've got the photo right here and mickey would go yeah yeah." (laughs) that's so cool that's really cool oh man so i mean listen those two restaurants you know when you're not paying for the food you're paying for the experience the experience really that's what you're doing you're paying for the experience and I don't want my answer to have come off as negative. Maybe I should have said the food's not the star. The star is the experience and try to be more positive with my answer. That's what I should have said, because it is definitely the experience. And that's what you're that's what you're getting at those two restaurants. So sure. great question. That, that was awesome, Ron. Great. Uh, what's your favorite? So thanks for bringing that to us this week. And that just about does it for this episode of the WDW Reflections Podcast. Please go and follow us on all of our social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at WDW Reflections Podcast and on Twitter at WDW Reflections. This podcast can currently be found and played on the following podcast platforms, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and now on Apple Podcasts. And as we grow, we'll let you know where else we can be found. If you love the show, please leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts. Those positive feedbacks help the show reach a larger audience and helps us grow. And don't forget, you can always message us from any of those social media accounts, or you can email us at wdwreflectionspodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions, comments, requests for park tips, ideas for future podcast topics, or anything else you can think of. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and please keep coming back. See you real soon. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas.